Welcome to Golden Hour, a podcast dedicated to spreading light. You'll hear stories and interviews from people who have taken difficult circumstances and made beauty and success out of it. Stories of resilience, love, grace, and hope. One of my favorite quotes, and a quote that inspired this podcast by Rupi Kaur, the world gives you so much pain, and here you are making gold out of it. There's nothing purer than that. I hope you enjoy and spread a little sunshine today. Hello, sunshine, and welcome to the Golden Hour podcast. My name is Kimmy Cantrell, and I am super excited for my very first interview guest um, to share with you guys today, which is my dad. Hi, dad. Hi, Kimmy. It's so good to be with you. I am just tickled to death that you're here. Um, and it's really fun to me that my first interview is going to be with you. So I'm really excited to allow the opportunity for everybody to get to know you better because obviously I'm a little biased, but I think that you're just the best person in the world. Um, well, I taught you that your whole life. And even <laughs> if they were here, we're states apart right now, but it's, it's, this is fun. This is fun. And yes, we are states apart. So I'm actually currently in um, the DC metropolitan area and my dad is based in the Atlanta metropolitan area. Um, and thank goodness for technology, though we're not the best at it, but here we are. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> we made it happen. We remained resilient and here we are. Um, but one of the main reasons, dad, you know, and audience, why I wanted to have you on here is because I, you know, I, like I said, I'm biased, but I truly believe I have the best parents in the world. And I think that I would not be who I am without my parents. I think that they've just really, you know, given me all the love and the opportunity and all the resources um, I could have ever asked for in life. But mostly they've given me a lot of um, encouragement and optimism and an example of what's possible if you just really love hard and really just care. So um, I, dad, I think you're one of the best examples of that. And I can't wait for people to learn a little bit more about, you know, how you became the top doc in the state of Georgia multiple times and what it took to get you there. But um, I'm really excited for us to dive into that deeper. So thank you. You're welcome. And it's the top pediatrician, not the top doc. Yes, yes. I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> we'll uh, take it. <laughs> I'll take it. Yes. Thank you. Well, much. Of course. So if you're cool with it, we're going to start with a little bit of an icebreaker. Okay. So it's going to be a rapid fire either or. So I'm going to list two different things. And the first one that you love the most or the first thing that comes to mind is, is what you're going to say. Okay. We'll try this. <laughs> okay. Remember when this used to be on Jeopardy <laughs> or the match game way back. Right. All of it. Okay. So chocolate or vanilla? Chocolate. Morning or night? Night. Truth or dare? Truth. Really? <laughs> yeah, remember Merm that now. <laughs> <laughs> Mermaid or unicorn? Mermaid. Um, Even though I didn't have a life-size Christmas unicorn in my front yard <laughs> at Christmas. So. I was sure you were going to say unicorn. <laughs> I like the water a lot. Okay, pancakes or waffles? Pancakes. And then our last one, the Beach Boys or the Beatles? Beatles. Oh, that was a tough one, huh? Yes. I like 
I remember yeah. the inception of boats. It tells you how. Oh, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Don't age yourself too much. Okay. <laughs> well, with that being said, let's go ahead and dive into the real meat and potatoes of why we have you here. So my real first question, and obviously other than the fact that you love me, but what prompted you to want to even be on this podcast and talk with people about a little bit of your story? Well, the main reason you just mentioned is that I love you and you asked me to, and uh, you know, I have a difficulty saying no to you, although it has been done. Um, I do. Not too many times. Growing up. I do like the fact that you're involved with this and that you do teach and preach resilience and, and you do uh, preach and teach optimism and you can do what you want to do. I remember when you were a little girl and you were a competitive cheerleader since age three, so it could be any time in there, but to you, if you didn't finish first, it didn't count. And you, you considered and told everybody, second is first loser. Now, <laughs> oh, was sure, I, when I said I'm not, that. <laughs> I'm not quite sure I totally agree with that because I finished second and third a few times and it's worked out okay. But um, your, your perseverance, your drive, your work ethic is something that has developed over years. Um, but I do think you did get some genes for it and, and you developed into a, a wonderful caring person and I'm so proud of you. That's why I'm here right now. <laughs> well, thank you. For anybody who's curious, I have adapted that mindset a little bit. I do think it's okay to not always win, but I would prefer it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so dad, Let's go back a little bit. So I know that we mentioned, you know, that you were the top pediatrician in the state of Georgia, which is an accolade that is, I mean, amazing. So when did your dream start of wanting to become the future top doc of Georgia? <laughs> um, I have always been interested in medicine. Nobody in the family is involved in medicine. In fact, I'm only the second one in the family to graduate from college, but, but uh, way back when I was a kid, there were a couple of TV shows on Marcus Welby, MD, Dr. Kildare, different things that have now been replaced with newer uh, ER dramas and things, but I was fascinated by the shows, which obviously is television and drama, but and I also have always enjoyed helping people. And it seems to me like it was almost a calling and it was given to me in the fifth grade, you're going to be a pediatrician. Wow. And not a doctor, you're going to be a pediatrician. And I think it's probably a divine calling because since fifth grade, that's all I've ever wanted to do there were obstacles along the way, but uh, uh, way back fifth grade through junior high school, we didn't have middle school back then. Uh, <laughs> my goal was to make good grades so I could be a doctor. High school, make good grades to be a doctor. And I came from a very pretty disadvantaged high school, but it worked out okay. And uh, that's, that's when it started. So you mentioned some obstacles. How would you describe 
some of those? Well, as you may or may not know, and probably heard me talk about it, but as the audience may or may not know, getting into medical school is very competitive. And it is not truly to be a good doctor, how smart you are. Everybody has to have a minimum amount of brains, but it's how determined you are and how willing you are to work hard at it. But uh, along the way, if you don't have the grades to get into medical school, you don't get to play. So um, my goal through junior high school and through high school was to make the best grades I possibly could. Uh, I graduated 12th in my class in high school, wasn't first, but. <laughs> <laughs> the 11th <laughs> loser. <laughs> but, but I came from a very, very small high school. Um, there were 227 in my graduating class. That included the entire county. <laughs> wow. So this was a small rural high school in Tennessee, in the woods, about 100 miles from anywhere. And um, we did not get the best college prep. In fact, 90% of my classmates went into either farming with their family or worked in the, fam in the factory, which may have been run by my family. <laughs> Oop, got a cell phone. <laughs> I got a page. Well, that's yeah. <laughs> that's why he's the top doctor. <laughs> I'll call them in a minute. <laughs> but anyway, I knew going into uh, in, into college that um, um, I had my work cut out for me, and that I was not as prepared as some of the folks from the bigger cities would be. I got into a good university and went to the University of Tennessee, and I went there basically expecting to flunk out the first quarter, way back mm -hmm. when we had quarters. And uh, uh, I had the opportunity to march in the Pride of the Southland Band, and I gave that up because I had to study. And I did, I studied really hard. And at the end of the first quarter, I came home on the Dean's List and I thought, maybe this is gonna happen. And by the time it was over, I had graduated with honors and had about the appropriate grade of everybody else applying to medical school, but I overcame not being well prepared in high school, not being well prepared um, before high school and, and made that work. So what happened after that? Well, I actually finished college in three years because I was going to get a jump on the system. And yeah, I finished all of it in three years and did well. And this was back during the Vietnam War. A lot of people were coming back from Vietnam and were trying to go to medical school. A lot of people trying to get into medical school so they didn't go to the Vietnam War. And uh, competition was, was stout. And about one in three of qualified applicants who applied got in. Well, I was gonna be that one because we're not first losers, are we? <laughs> no, no, we aren't. Well, I was. <laughs> and, for three consecutive years, which blew that one year head start I had, um, I did not get into medical school. And I went back and did some postgraduate work and took some more classes and some biochemistry and some more biology and did anything I could to beef up my, my uh, CV, my resume, but uh, I still didn't get in for three years. Uh, I had gone home, actually gotten married during this time, which was another probable bad timing thing. <laughs> Another obstacle. <laughs> Another obstacle. 
<laughs> but anyway, we had uh, moved to Nashville at the time because I was pursuing some postgraduate work at Belmont College and went home for Christmas to our little small town. The local doctor, there were three local doctors in town, it was a small town. Son is a couple years older than me, and I knew he was having similar problems, even though he had graduated from Vanderbilt. Um, and I went to uh, Christmas Eve service at church and saw good old Dr. Baker over there. And when the service was over, he nearly knocked people down getting to me, literally picked me up by my suit coat and said, Bobby, his son, got into medical school. I said, what? Wow. I knew I had a little better grades than him. <laughs> <laughs> of course, his dad was a doctor and mine was not. Yeah. Uh, so I asked him, I said, where? Guadalajara, Mexico. What? I've never heard of that. <laughs> he said, Bobby, be home at three o'clock this afternoon. Come talk to him. And I was standing on the doorstep at 2.30. <laughs> Bobby arrived after taking his first semester of Spanish. <laughs> Not medical school yet. Uh, that is a prerequisite to get, go to the school there. And uh, he told me every negative thing he could think of about the school in the country and being there, and he really hated it. And I said, do you have an application? He said, well, here. <laughs> I filled that sucker out, and that was the beginning of me with a long trek studying medicine in a foreign language outside the U.S. And it got me to ultimately, hey, the top pediatrician in Georgia is someone else thinks anyway. <laughs> and... So remind me, but you actually only took French prior to your stint in Mexico, right? I did. Foreign language did not come well, did not come easy to me. Uh, math, science, the things that I use now came fairly easy, but foreign language was not, not easy for me. And I took in high school and in college uh, French. Well, I can tell you they don't speak much French in Mexico. <laughs> I would say so. <laughs> and certainly the university medical school was not in French or English. It was all in Spanish. So I had to go down and I took something called Espanol Intensivo. We called it Expensivo because it was expensive. Uh, <laughs> for four to five months, nine to five, five days a week, we studied Spanish. And at the end of it, if you took the test and you scored 80 or above, you could start medical school. So I toiled over Spanish for about five months, took the test and got a whopping 82 and began medical school. So it did work. <laughs> wow. What would you say was probably the most challenging part of that process of getting to medical school? learning Spanish. <laughs> now it's depressing, it's demoralizing, it's defeating to be turned down. And each time I would get a letter of rejection that says, your, let's say biochemistry grades are not as good as some other people. If you pump that up, you'd probably get in next year. Okay, I go take uh, a year of biochemistry, apply again. Well, now they picked something else that would <laughs> be a problem. So after three years, uh, there were many excuses, but I wasn't going anywhere. And I remember I had graduated college in three years to get that head start because I knew it took a long time. Well, I'd totally blown that. 
good thing I had it. <laughs> so, uh, just not getting in. You know, you, you know you can do the work. You've proven that you can be studious and you've proven uh, I got a job at the hospital as an orderly. They don't have those anymore. Everybody's a technician. <laughs> I'm like, what is that? <laughs> an orderly is a um, nursing technician hmm. who does the scut work, empties the bedpans and carries the urinals around and breaks up fecal impactions and all kinds of fun things. So, oh yeah, sounds juicy. Anyway, that's the lowest uh, lowest rung on the ladder at the hospital and I had worked there for two years trying to get some experience and I knew I liked it. So and was pretty good at it, I thought. So I knew I could do it given the opportunity and I just had to keep trying till I got the opportunity. Now it happened to be it was in a foreign country and it was in Spanish. So uh, and I'd had enough trouble learning French. <laughs> well, I mean, and I imagine it's enough trouble learning medicine. <laughs> I think oh, no, in much your easier, much easier than Spanish. <laughs> yeah, I imagine. I mean, for some reason, my life has just been destined to be. I guess from birth, my life has been destined to be intertwined with healthcare. I mean, it, it seems uh -huh. like so many people I know either are doctors, are trying to be doctors, have been doctors, are in medical school. Or also, nurses. don't leave the nurses out. And the nurses, the nurses are right there, you know, in fact, they're there first, but, um, <laughs> but I know how challenging just the practice of medicine alone is, let mm -hmm. alone having to do it in a language that you don't speak, um, which I think, you know, I want to also say, I imagine the same narrative happens a lot for people who actually are coming from abroad to the United States, you know, yeah. and like English isn't their first language and they're, you know, this, the same thing. So I just, I, I've seen how exhausting and like you said, like dehumanizing the process can be without that hurdle. I just can't even, I can't even imagine that the willpower and the resilience that it took for you to have at that time to get through it. Well, many people give up. Uh, many of my friends who didn't get in then applied to dental school, even though they didn't really want to be a dentist. So they became dentists which frustrated the people who really wanted to be dentists. Right. Now they couldn't get in because all the frustrated doctors were there. So they applied to pharmacy school, which really frustrated all the people who wanted to be pharmacists because of full frustrated dentists. Right, everyone's <laughs> just frustrated. <laughs> yeah. So all everyone the pharmacy students ended up driving trucks. So there you go. <laughs> wow. So, so tell me, I guess, you know, that was a hard time. What? what else has transpired that is something that now you can look back on and feel really motivated by, but maybe at the time seemed really hard or like really challenging to experience? Well, I had mentioned that I had um, married with one quarter of uh, college to go, I, I got married. And that's really not good timing, truthfully, if you're going to pursue a graduate degree. You have one, you understand that. But we did it anyway, and even though everybody told us it was, we should wait, but um, when you're young and in love and you think you know everything, you, you do what, what you think Whatever is- Whatever you want, yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so she did uh, follow me to Mexico. She's not allowed to work. Um, we actually ended up having a child during Mexico, which is your older brother. Hey, Trey. <laughs> and uh, now that part is good. 
<laughs> and then we came back and I was finishing up medical school in my internship year when she had had enough and she left. Now, divorce is never good anywhere. I don't condone it in any way, but she had had enough of following me around and putting her own life on hold. So after seven years, she decided to leave. Now, that was pretty devastating. I was also in a rotation of uh, medicine at that time, and I'm surprised I didn't truly injure someone, but <laughs> mm. I had some good residents watching out for me, but uh, <laughs> teamwork. Um, <laughs> teamwork, yes. <laughs> yeah, but that was difficult. That was a very dark time of my life because I never thought I would be divorced, but um, three years later, three and a half, four years later, when I married your mom, <laughs> mm. And we just celebrated our 35th anniversary uh, two days ago, so <laughs> 35 well, years ago. <laughs> it worked funny. out okay, and here you are. <laughs> yeah, amen. <laughs> well, and it's funny you say that because, you know, I obviously, I don't agree. Not that I don't agree, but, you know, I think a lot, oftentimes there's this taboo conversation with divorce mm. um and nobody wants to get divorced like that's you don't go get married with the intention of getting divorced but i also i think because it blessed me you know i don't want to say that i'm so glad that you got divorced because <laughs> i'm not i'm not happy you went through that experience but i am grateful that people have the opportunity to re redirect you know i'm thankful that people have the opportunity to um try again because obviously if you hadn't gotten to try again or you know then you wouldn't then, be here my, my story would look a lot different and yours probably <laughs> would too um so amen you know i'm here i i again i don't wish it on anybody but i also want to say that you can make really good stuff out of things that seemed really horrible right and, and and one of the things that you had asked me to consider uh, when we were talking about this is, um, what do you think about failure? Yeah. That's the question you'd ask. I think it's a time for a new start. Mm. It's a new start. When something didn't work out, and if you've ever tried to start a business or you're a businessman and a failed business, and that didn't work, do you give up? Well, you're not going anywhere if you do. This is an opportunity for a new start. Now, the, the thing I like about you and your optimism is that you're optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> now, maybe you got that from me, because I, I told you before that um, way back when I was a kid, five, six years old, um, we didn't have all these fancy sports to play. Certainly, there was no competitive cheerleading. We played baseball, football, and basketball. Well, I wasn't big enough for anything except uh, some baseball and barely that. But at the time, the local economy supported the baseball league by paying for your uniforms they could put their name on the back of your, your uniform. And Firestone had a team and you know, Kroger had a team and different places had something. Realty had a team. I played for the, one of the community civic clubs called the Optimist Club. <laughs> so one of my very first memories as a kid as a baseball uniform says optimist club number five so 
that instilled optimism in me way back. <laughs> but so did my mother. My mother was very optimistic. She wanted her kids to have the best that she could provide. And she went out of her way uh, to make sure we got to do things. One of her favorite uh, expressions was, anyone can spit on the sidewalk, try to spit on the ceiling. Meaning, be different. Keep trying. You may have to wipe spit out of your eyes a few times, but <laughs> do something different. Do something and good. I, and I interpret it too as like, and keep your head up. You know, yeah. if you're spitting on the ground, your head's down. If you're spitting on the ceiling, your head's up. And I think just even that posture change is so yeah. like changes everything. Now, my dad was what some people might call a workaholic. He ran a factory for the Wrangler people, and there's 350 or so employees, and he worked a lot. But in that era, in the 50s and 60s, that's what men did. And he used to say, I make the living and she makes the living worthwhile. Meaning, he's gonna bring home the bread and the paycheck and the bacon and mom's gonna put it to work so that we get the best out of it. And that's how it was back then. So I yeah. learned a work ethic from him and the optimism and go do it from her and you got it all. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Go me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thanks, Jerry. <laughs> One story about your grandmother. When I was in the seventh grade and I wanted to play the drums, which ultimately I did, uh, I went to tryouts first day, beginning band, brand new, didn't know anything. I went to the band room and the band director says, what do you want to play, little boy? <laughs> I said, I want to play the drums. Says, oh man, everybody over there is playing the drums. We need something else. Here, you play the trumpet. And I went home and I was kind of sad and I didn't want to play the trumpet. I wanted to play the drums. And um, my mom says, what's wrong? Says, the band director says, I've got to play the trumpet. I can't play the drums. She snatched that trumpet out of my hand and said, you march back there tomorrow and you tell him, my mama says... <laughs> which is my, my out, <laughs> wasn't me now talking to him. Now. My mama my said, I'm either going to play the drums or I'm not going to play at all. <laughs> Whoa, let's spit on the ceiling. <laughs> and I did just that. And he said, oh, okay, go pick up a drum. Within two weeks, all the drummers had quit, but me and one other. Mm. And then I went on to have a very successful career drumming. So. <laughs> and he still drums. To this day, you can catch him with his cap on that has a built-in ponytail, and he just drums his little brains out. Yeah, I got to have the ponytail on the cap because the roots are dead now. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, mom was very encouraging. We tried to be encouraging with you, but the work ethic, if you want to do something and you'll put in the work and dedication, if it doesn't happen right away, it, it, you can make it happen eventually. Don't give up. I, I really believe that. And I think, um, you know, I don't know how young, I feel like I was just born knowing that from you guys. I don't recall a moment in time where I was like, oh, now I understand that I can just try again. But, you know, maybe part of it was because I was cheering at three years old. And so from my first words, I was saying, that's all right. That's okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> go team. Like, you know, maybe it was because from such a young age, that's just what my mantras were. You know, they were just encouraging cheers to, right. to cheer people on. But right. um, it's so true that, like you said, 
every time you quote unquote fail, it's really just another opportunity to start something new and, or maybe even start the same thing, just do it differently or even do it exactly the same, but just keep trying, but never, you know, never taking your foot off the gas. Mm -hmm. Well, that kind of segues into probably my, one of my darkest times and I was 57 years old and that's not yesterday either. Um, <laughs> in 2008 when the economy was becoming depressed they never called it depression but it it was we, okay. i was the senior partner in a large pediatric practice had three locations and 14 providers and 70 employees and the insurance changed the patients changed nobody was people were losing jobs and our volume diminished. We had laid off a couple nurse practitioners and the youngest doctor and then there was a meeting that kind of surprised me where I was called in on the last day of November after Thanksgiving and told uh, you don't work here anymore and I looked around the boardroom and there's seven partners at that time and uh, said I hired all of you. Yes, but you make the biggest salary and you're no longer one of us. Um, being progressive and the way you practice is old school and we're not. So, um, see ya. <laughs> uh -huh. And I left there and um, I never thought since I'd helped build this prize, second one in the older senior partner had retired a few years earlier. Yeah, I was the top dog and, um, but I didn't fit the younger people. And they outvoted me. I had one vote. They each had one vote and I lost. Uh, so I was unemployed at the age of 57. You were off at college by then. So I remember it like it was you, yesterday. You may remember it, but you weren't kind of as much into it as some of the others, particularly your yeah. younger brother who, you know, I still had two kids. We had a foster child. I had two in high school and, and uh, another one living at home. And then you were off and your older brother was off, but uh, um, what do you do? I still got a family to support and I now no longer have an income. Um, there was supposed to be some, some uh, retirement and whatnot. Um, there was a clause in our contract uh, about starting to work too close to their office. And I made the mistake of attempting that and got sued for it and lost the retirement. So basically we had nothing for a little bit. I've been in that business at that time for 25 years. I thought I could pick up the phone. I know everybody in the area. Somebody's gonna want me to go to work on Monday. 2008, no, this was by now 2010. So the depression had worsened and uh, um, everybody was laying off. Nobody was hiring and nobody wanted an older pediatrician. So I could have given up, I could have rolled over, I could have drummed for a living. <laughs> Maybe sometimes you wish you had. <laughs> I was pretty good at doctoring. And I said, if I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna have to start over and build my own. And I went out on a limb, found someone who would finance me, which was very difficult, and opened a new practice. And for the last nine years, I have built that solo practice, I now have two nurse practitioners, but we're not going to get that big again. And I'll never have another partner. <laughs> Good business advice. Be a head partner and mean it. Um, but I built it to 
why just in May I won the award for the top pediatrician in Georgia or and that was a I call back but here we are now it's working even through the pandemic uh, volume went way down government was able to help us with the payroll protection plan and we got that and I'm going to make it through it just fine so business is coming back and, and I can continue to pay your phone bill <laughs> thank you <laughs> But that's the only bill. <laughs> yeah, you're pretty um, self-sufficient. <laughs> <laughs> well, and honestly, I, you know, I, I became, I think, pretty self-sufficient at that time because I recognized, like, I have to do something to help. Like, like you mentioned, I was away at, in college. I was a freshman in college, and I immediately was like, I have to figure something out for myself. And that's when I started, I became a cheer coach, and it wasn't a lot of money, but it was, uh, you know... Um, enough to get me by and to keep me distracted. And I then eventually became an RA so I could pay for housing. And, you know, that's really when I started, it really projected me into a whole different life path because I wanted to help and I wasn't there to do anything. And one of my favorite parts about that story of yours is one, I mean, we never went without, you know, we never, you wouldn't have otherwise known. I think you did a really great job. I mean, I can't even imagine how, how that would make someone feel. And I just feel like you handled it with as much grace as possible. But when you started to open your, your practice that you have now, I remember you talking about the name of the practice, which is Summit Pediatrics. And I remember you talking about the fact that that's what you're doing. You're climbing a summit, like you are getting to the top of this mountain, and you're going to get there, you know, through whatever it takes. And I, I remember that very, I remember that conversation very vividly. And, you know, now to see you, you know, do I think that you're at the top of your peak? No, I think you still have, I think you're going to get bigger and better. I, every day, every year, you're just so um, amazing and people really love you. But I think it's just been, it's been very inspiring to me to see that, well, if you can overcome something like that, I can do, I can get over this really tiny <laughs> minuscule frustration that I have. So that was really inspiring to be a part of. Well, I'm glad you were further away to be part of it because <laughs> it was a little more ugly on, on the home scene, <laughs> but I'm we sure. all came together and, and we did it. And the other two graduated high school. And <laughs> well, and that's <laughs> life, right? you know, making the most of the ugly. That's right. Well, we lost our house and we lost our income and we lost uh, several other things, but now we have a new house and we have a new job and we have a much better income. So. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Everybody continued to finish school and even your youngest brother finished school and did well. Yeah. So we got everybody where they needed to be and with hard work and dedication and don't give up. If you give up, you've got nowhere to go but down. Yep. So what would you say is your biggest takeaway or biggest learning lesson? Um, from all of that, it would have to be learn Spanish. <laughs> I wish I had. <laughs> it's never too late, I guess, though. <laughs> French won't help. <laughs> but uh, this you know, the optimism of, in, in Mexico, there was two, there was a lot of Americans down there doing the same thing I was from all over the country. And um, there were two groups, about 50% were mad, 
sad, upset, belligerent about having to be there, how their country had failed them and they couldn't get in and they're very upset to have to stoop to the second rate education. The other half of us saw this as an opportunity. I tried for three years, I couldn't get in. I even learned a lot of French and I couldn't get in. <laughs> but now you're giving me the opportunity. Now those of us who were happy to be there because this is it, um, had a good life. We had, a, we had fun. We, we played softball and had teams and made friends and played cards and uh, we, we had a great time down there. Um, but uh, the, the whole mindset was if you're unhappy because of your situation, either change the situation or change your attitude. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And I didn't have a lot of patience with those folks who were grumbling. Because, you know, otherwise, I'd still be playing in a rock band somewhere. <laughs> 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 Which probably wouldn't have ever made it real big. <laughs> hey, knowing your work ethic and attitude, you would have. <laughs> yeah, but so's other guys. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so last few things here. What like steps or action items or advice would you give to um, your younger self? Well, besides learning Spanish, it's <laughs> <laughs> um, just work, work hard. Whatever you're doing, whatever assignment you're given, show that you are dedicated to whatever it is you're doing and do it. Mm -hmm. And even if it isn't what you ultimately wanted it to be, or if it's not what you really thought it should have been, if you keep working, you'll plateau and then you'll, then, I mean, it's, it's, it's biblical that in, in Job in the Bible in Job five, seven, it says, yet man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. Hmm. We're going to have trouble. That's what this life is pending a better one, but uh, you're going to have trouble. And, and sometimes the trouble knocks you down a little. Sometimes it knocks you back a lot. Sometimes it knocks you all the way down to the ground but you can't stay there. You, you can pity for a little bit, but then that, that's it. Get up, you go to go to work. And if you work hard at whatever it is you're doing at the time, you will succeed in some way. Yeah. Even if it yeah. wasn't what you thought it was going to be. <laughs> well, and I, you know, when you said that, it made me think of this quote that I really love. That's sometimes it ends up different and it's better that way. And so I just always <laughs> remind myself that, you know, I may want, this, you know, I may want X, Y, Z so bad. Man, you're a popular guy tonight. <laughs> Patient. <girl. laughs> yeah, I, I may want X, Y, Z so bad, but sometimes that's just not what's meant for me. And sometimes that's better, you know, but I um, think most of the times it's better. Yeah. yeah. Uh, an old uh, friend of mine, an elderly gentleman who worked at the factory when I was loading trucks for my dad, used to say, a thing ain't worth doing if it ain't worth doing to excess. That's another one of my faves. <laughs> uh, get in there, and if it's working and it's doing well, do it. And if it's yeah. not, change your attitude. Yeah, I love it. So any last pieces of advice or nuggets of gold that you want to share with our listeners before we conclude our conversation? I don't know that there's much more than we've talked about. I think the whole <laughs> thing is, is dedication um, resilience as you as you've mentioned is what you're talking about 
And, and what I think resilience is, I think resilience is perseverance that took a break. Mm. And then you start over. I you love that. Okay. Yes, perseverance that took a break and started over, did it again. Yeah. That's Maybe good. <laughs> <laughs> That's really good. So how can people find you if they want to. So maybe in this scenario would be your your work, you know, Summit Pediatrics or, you know, how can people get in touch with you if they want to be your friend after hearing how amazing you are, they want to be your patient because you see how dedicated you are because you've gotten two pages in this <laughs> in this time frame. Um, Summit Pediatrics does have a Facebook and it is, you can just go on Facebook and find uh, Summit Pediatrics GA is our website, the Summit Pediatrics and Marietta, Georgia, and you can find me and, and you see the, the picture of the award I just won in May. <laughs> I've had others, but this one's pretty significant. So, yeah, I'd uh, say. <laughs> Facebook's probably the best way or our website, summitpediatricsga.com. Awesome. So that's summitpediatricsga.com. Or Facebook, Summit Pediatrics. Great. Well, Dad, I can't thank you enough for giving me life, for loving me, for nurturing me, for supporting me. I asked yesterday, um, you know, thanks. I, I was talking to him yesterday. And I said, thanks so much for doing this. And he was like, I wouldn't miss it. I haven't missed anything else. And it's so true. I mean, you've been at everything, everything that I did, everything my siblings did, and also everything that your board committees did and all, you know, you... I don't know how you do it, but you inspire me. And I'm just very, very grateful to know you, to love you, to call you mine. So thank you, Dad. Well, you're sure welcome. And it is a privilege to have brought you this far. And now you're on your own. And it's coming time for you to take care of me. <laughs> <laughs> well, here we grow. <laughs> here we grow. That's well, <laughs> thank you. Yes. Turned out this way. And and here we are. I'm happy to. Well, thank you guys for listening. This has been such a treat and such a pleasure. I hope that you guys enjoyed and I hope that you go spread a little sunshine today. Thanks for listening to Golden Hour, a podcast dedicated to spreading light. If you'd like to keep in touch or have a story to share, you can contact us on Instagram at goldenhourpodcast1 or email us at goldenhourpodcast1 at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you and sharing your stories of love, resilience, and light.